0: Minute is rated R. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is also rated R. We're going to spend this time discussing the movie in gory detail, and along the road, we will talk about some adult content and use some of our favorite swear words. Kuma mamako, Makende. Consider yourselves warned. Welcome to Rocky Horror Minute, the podcast where we break down the Rocky Horror Picture Show one minute at a time in excruciating detail. I'm one of your hosts, Leandra. And I'm your other host, Kelly. And we are joined
1: today by an extremely special guest. We have Eric Deutsch with us. He hosts Flash Gordon Minute and Escape from New York Minute. And he's been kind enough to join us for these minutes where we discuss the time warp.
2: Hello. I'm very happy to be here. Very excited.
1: I talked with you a little bit about this before the show, but do you remember the first time that you saw the movie, Eric?
2: I I do. And actually, it's interesting. I was aware of this song, uh, The Time Warp, before I was aware of the movie. I grew up in the 80s, and at my junior high school dances in the late 80s, Time Warp would be played at every single dance. And it was, it was a, always a major highlight of every dance. And I had never seen the movie. I had never heard of the movie at that point. I just knew there was this wacky song that was being played at every single school dance. And I picked up the dance moves by watching other kids at the first couple of dances so that at the future dances I knew all the moves and I was able to be a part of it uh, I, had, I had no idea what this wacky song was from. I was like wow this is this weird song that they're always playing and there's this is cool dance with it and then once I was in high school I went oh it's from a movie and I started hearing about this crazy movie Rocky Horror Picture Show and so I, I rented it from the local blockbuster most likely and um, I really liked it and then uh, I had a friend who was really really into the movie and I watched it with him maybe a year or so later uh, and so it's really interesting. This is going back, uh, more than 25 years at this point, And those are the only two times that I saw the movie start to finish all the way through. And I've seen like bits and pieces, uh, at other points here and there. But even though I only saw it those two times so long ago, I remember so much about it. And, and it's, it's very interesting that the movie really stuck with me. It's just such a memorable movie. Uh, and, um, as we were also talking before we started recording, Kelly, that you know, I had never seen the live show. And it's one of those things – when I was living in, um, in Madison, Wisconsin many years ago, they did it every Saturday night. And it was one of those things my friends and I would say, we got to go to that someday. We got to go to that someday and never actually went though. Uh, and so um, I've never seen the live show. I have always, I still always want to. All these years later, um, I'm much older now, so <laughs> I wonder if I'd be able to keep up. But yeah, that's that's uh, basically my history with the movie.
1: Oh, it's completely ageless, and the, and <laughs> in New York they do it every weekend. Probably not right now during a pandemic, but mm. uh, when when stuff starts back up, it's worth trying to trying to get down there. <laughs> it's it's such great fun, and it's funny the dance thing. I hadn't mentioned this on the show before, but I also before I ever saw the movie that was always played at my school dances too and I and we would do the time warp stuff but I and I didn't know what it was from until I watched the movie later
0: I'm not sure that I ever heard it at a school dance possibly because my schools were were maybe not as cool but Every single Halloween, it was part of one of the mixes that had like Monster Mash and the One-Eyed, One-Horn, Flying Purple People Eater song. And as I've said before on the podcast, I used to watch the movie with my parents once a year, and it was always on Halloween. And that stopped just as soon as I started picking up on some of the adult content. But I... I don't know. Time Warp was always something that I thought was just so incredibly fun. And I never thought about it in great depth. And frankly, I still haven't because it's it's just there. It is a fun uh, thing that tells you exactly how to do the dance as you're doing it.
1: So today we're discussing minute 20. And when we last left off, Janet and Brad were following Riff Raff and his bouncing thumb. And at the beginning of this minute, janet very politely asks are you having a party and riffraff responds you've arrived on a rather special night it's one of the master's affairs and she says oh lucky him and then our domestic that we noticed just straddling the banister screams you're lucky we're lucky i'm lucky you're lucky i'm He's lucky, I'm lucky, we're all lucky. wahahaha ha ha ha. As she slides down the banister, she tosses her feather duster to Riffrath. And then he begins his song. And while we could not get Richard O'Brien on the podcast tonight, <laughs> we did get the next best thing. Uh, if you want to, if you want to give us his lines, it goes um, it goes right up to uh I remember doing the time warp so Eric take it away. <laughs> uh
2: yeah uh, all right let me get in the mood by the that first line there. All right here we go. You have arrived on a rather special night. It's one of the master's affairs. Oh, that wasn't good. Uh, okay <laughs> no. I'll i go into the song instead. Right. I, I swear I'm usually better than that. All right. <clears throat> okay uh it's, a, it's astounding. Time is fleeting, madness takes its toll. <laughs> How far did we go in this middle? I forgot um, already.
1: So th- <laughs> we go up to we go up to the first time he says, "I remember doing this."
2: Okay, time. Um, but listen closely.
1: Not, Not sure for very, very much, much longer.
2: I've got to keep control. I remember. <laughs> 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 exactly,
1: um, and while he's doing this, he's kind of stroking this coffin clock with a skeleton in it with the feather duster. He opens it up to reveal the skeleton, and Brad and Janet are getting kind of pushed forward by Magenta. Uh, and then, yeah, he when he really loses control and starts scream singing, uh, he runs. He grins at them and then runs over to the wall and he starts to he starts the first of two kicks. He says, I remember doing the time warp, and then it's kick, kick. So, that's the minute.
0: All right. Well, that's our show.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, But seriously, it's uh, obviously, this is the big famous song from the movie. So, we're going to have so, so much to talk about and so many callbacks. Uh,
0: So, Leandra, what did you have? So... I have a couple of fun things to just throw out there, just to begin with. First off is just the fact that I've I've seen many many custodial, janitorial uh, type workers. I've seen maids of different varieties. I've never seen any of them dust a banister quite like that. <laughs> and I think that that is uh, that must be really good for the wood. It's yeah. good for somebody's wood. <laughs> god (laughs) but yeah
1: it is really the whole thing i actually was really confused about this like why magenta would be doing any of that uh but patricia quinn actually answered that for me on the commentary uh richard o'brien asked her and she said the director didn't tell me what to bloody do i didn't dare upstage that moment so i guess she was just kind of trying to stay out of sight by hiding on that banister and then just kind of was
0: winging it when she slid down and yelled, I guess. That's what she said. Now, a fun fact about the banister, I guess maybe less than fun fact, um, if you go into Oakley Court, they've done enough renovations that you really can't do that anymore. The banister has changed significantly. You can take a picture of you like on the banister, though. I don't know if they think that that's a great idea but (laughs) I've I certainly know lots of people who have that photo whether or not they were permitted to do so is maybe a different story at
1: this point they should expect it yeah reinforce it with whatever you need to people are going to climb on that thing so yeah that was interesting also she was talking a lot in the commentary uh, about her lazy hairdresser her word not mine who had just sprayed her hair red rather than dyeing it in any way. So every day they were just, I guess, using cans and cans of uh, temporary spray color, which is well-known in the Rocky community now.
0: Yep. I have ruined many a bathtub trying to get that stuff out of my hair. It creates this perma ring around it, and it's just, it's disgusting. And it also smells like baby powder and all of my broken hopes and dreams.
1: Yeah, just word to the wise, any Rocky Horror wannabe costumers or shadow casters, just buy a wig. I know it's hard to find a good magenta wig, but they're out there. They're not that expensive, and it's it will save you so much grief compared to trying to do your own hair.
0: Just Just email me. I will find one for you. That is my gift to the community. <laughs> to our listeners. <laughs> if you email me and say I need help with finding a costume piece, I will do my best to find one for you.
1: It's true. I make her do it for me
0: all the time. Yes. So, it's a it's not a costume piece, but it is a prop piece that I think is hilariously difficult to find now given the fact that they were so ubiquitous at the time that they were filming this. It is the duster. The duster is something that when people were only looking at the film version of this, they thought that it was just some brown feathers. Um, And once we got a much clearer cut of the film and we started uh, getting more details, we find out that it is about two feet long and it is multicolored feathers. Brightly colored, multicolored rainbow feathers. This was something that was very easy to find back when they were filming, and now they don't manufacture it because it's it's much easier to use something that will actually be better for whatever you're dusting. This <laughs> yeah. was also it also had a wooden handle that depending on who you ask and depending on how much you're squinting and hitting your head against a wall either has black and white alternating striping of, I guess it would be like some sort of rubberized tape around the handle. That was at least uh, what my first duster came with uh, back in like 2004, 2005. Um, And it served us very well until we broke it. And then Dan and I both were very sad because we can't find it.
1: Yeah, it's crazy how some of these props are still impossible to find despite the fact that so many
0: people want them for
1: their shadow cast costumes and props.
0: And I've seen a couple of people who will take like multicolored feather boas and just wrap it around a stick and that doesn't look too bad. But yeah. I don't know, it's not quite the same thing. Right. So the
1: other really big prop I think we have to talk about right now is the the coffin.
0: Yes, I have a lot of really weird information about uh, about it per the uh, per the auction site when it was last au- auctioned off. But I guess I have a question for you, Eric. Um, have you? Have you spent a lot of time looking at the details on this clock?
2: Uh, I certainly did to prepare uh, for this minute. Yeah, and I, as before, I even mentioned the clock. I have to say, as regarding the duster, he could have used it. You know, instead of just dropping it. I mean, that the skeleton's <laughs> covered in cobwebs. I don't know why he couldn't, yeah. have, you know, helped out Magenta there and done something with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that there's something that uh, I'm missing here because it looks like a pretty standard clock to me, although it, it does look like the hands aren't actually attached to anything.
0: They are attached, but it's with magic and bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> um, just kind of uh, going into the history of this uh, of this grandfather clock, um, it was something that was created they think sometime around the 1900s, and it came to the person who was auctioning it off, Ken Paul from a music hall in Hackney, London. And then Chris Paul, his daughter, I believe uh, decided, you know what? We're not going to be in the movie prop business anymore. I'm going to go ahead and auction off all this stuff. So she called up Sotheby's and they did a fantastically large auction. And, Per Chris Paul, based on the information that uh, that she has about the skeleton in the clock, um, she says there's a fascinating story about that. The skeleton is rumored to be the remains of a young Italian lover and the secretary of Countess of Rosalind. After his death, she couldn't bear to be separated from him, so she immortalized him in the clock and took him everywhere with her. Much better than being buried, don't you think, is what she said. And, of course, that sold at Sotheby's London, Bond Street, on March 15th in 2002. It was lot number 1512 and fetched 35,000 pounds.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, Richard O'Brien did kind of confirm that, although he said it was her husband. But on the commentary, he said that the clock was, it's a real skeleton in there, and it was the remains of the woman's husband who had the clock made. And then Patricia Quinn said, Oh, that's fabulous. Is that what I should have done with Robert? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's what I'm doing with Dan. He just doesn't know it yet.
1: Yeah. Eric, is that what you would like your wife to do after
2: you? <laughs> you know, I, I, I have I have said that I don't want to be just buried in some random grave that I want to do something wacky like uh they, they can turn your ashes into a, uh, an LP or, or one of those things where they bury you and a tree grows out of you or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I do want something different. I don't know about this specifically, though.
1: Well, I would hope they would <laughs> at least dust me. I, do. <laughs> I
0: don't know. Do they do that now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh-huh. some specs on the uh, on the coffin clock as it is affectionately called and very aptly named. Um, This is all from the Time Warp UK website, who took this directly from the Sotheby's listing. Um, It was 209 centimeters tall. It's a 12-inch annular dial inlaid into the coffin lid with ivory numerals on ebonized ground. VAP movement with lever escapement. Offset drive to the hands. The coffin case with paneled sides and Six gilt brass mask carrying handles, the hinge lid inlaid with an hourglass scythes, skull, and crossbones, and digging implements, all surrounded by ribbon tied laurel opening to reveal a human skeleton, the skull visible through the dial, and just looking at it the the wood that they use is beautifully. Ah, uh, grain, you see this almost starburst effect uh, radiating from the uh, from the Roman numerals themselves. And then when you open the coffin, you see that the skeleton is definitely rigged up somehow, but also has this lovely shroud over the head. it's it's very sweet. I don't know that I would put any amount of effort into doing this if it were um, my uh, my lover and secretary, but <laughs> clearly the Countess of Roslyn had uh, had slightly more that she cared about.
1: I can't believe it only sold for thirty five thousand pounds. I mean, I know that was in two thousand two, like that's eighteen years ago now. But I mean, people spend more than that on their weddings. I'd rather have a an amazing piece of film history that has a real human skeleton in it. My alone, guys, ladies, uh, am I right? Uh, Okay, <laughs> you'd rather have them all right well,
0: well, I don't know i I really don't know i I guess that I would actually have this when Dan and I were building our casts coffin clock, to specs, mm-hmm. we realized very quickly that that was an idiot task, and we had major regrets because not only did we kind of underestimate just how tall 209 centimeters is but in order to build this as ornately as it is in real life we had to make it like five million pounds heavy and it has four thousand wheels on it and it is just it's very pretty and we see it for about 15 seconds on stage
1: (laughs) i mean it could be less heavy if it were made of something else It could be less heavy if we threw it out. Well, I mean, I guess eventually after it's decomposed, but you know, I, I'm just like, if we were to do it again, I'm not, I love our coffin, especially since I'm never the person who has to move it or lift it. Um, But I'm just saying if we were to do it again, I would say we should build it out of a much lighter weight material.
0: And I definitely agree with that. The, the kind of, irritating thing about that was Dan got some advice from one of his technical director friends. And he was like, oh, you need to use this type of wood. And he was like, are you sure? This is going to make it very heavy. And our friend said, oh, you want this to last forever though, right? Dan said, I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. So (laughs) then six months later, Dan is complaining about the fact that, uh, that this is an incredibly heavy, uncomfortably unwieldy prop to move. And our friend goes, well, I don't know why you made it so heavy. I would have just used Luan. And I thought that Dan was going to just murder this man on site because that was (laughs) what he was going to use initially.
1: Yeah. So and then we do we see another throwback to the
0: American Gothic scene in The Wedding. Yeah, and that's not even the the last time that we will have an American Gothic kind of callback. This is one of the major themes that keeps getting repeated throughout the movie. Yeah.
2: their the expressions in that version certainly do not match the actual American Gothic painting. These people are are more like, what the hell is going on? Their eyes are <laughs> popping out of their heads.
1: Yeah, I love it. There, it's like a really zany
0: version. I really like seeing the different iterations of this and how it changes and almost how it kind of impl- uh, it implies what th- uh, what is going on in the scene that it's involved in. I don't know. It's kind of fun. Yeah. And we see one of my favorite
1: background scenery items in the entire movie also. Is it the dildo-shaped pineapple or the pineapple-shaped dildo? Uh, neither. It's the... Cheetah wrestling a snake, <laughs> uh taxidermied in the background.
2: Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: My, one of my favorite audience <laughs> costumes that you don't see a lot, but when you do see it, it's always great. Is sometimes someone will go as the cheetah wrestling the snake.
0: I've seen it a couple of times, and every time I'm just very happy that it exists.
1: Yeah, but what a fun, weird detail. I would. I, do you know any? background about how that came to be in the scene?
0: Oh, are you asking if I know the name of the cheetah and why it had such a problem with the snake? No, I don't. <laughs> I, thought
1: you were to, I thought you were about to be like, now this was a cheetah named Mittens. Yeah, here. I did too. I was like, oh, this is going to
2: be cool. <laughs> no.
0: And I'm actually really sad that I couldn't find information about it. And for a brief moment, I'm like, could I fuck with them? And the answer is yes, I could. But uh, <laughs> I, I decided that I, I have the ethics
1: necessary to, to not do that. Um, that was your chance to just introduce an apocryphal story to Rocky horror culture that probably would have ended up catching on and been repeated forever.
0: Oh, then Dan edited it out. The cheated <laughs> name is Mittens.
1: I, but I just love it. I That's the kind of attention to detail that I really love about this movie. And it. I assume came from just pure silly wackiness. So
0: Yeah, I think that it was one of the things that might even have been in Oakley Court at the time. I will double check, but I'm reasonably sure that the Cheetah Wrestling a Snake Taxidermy has been in other films that were filmed at Oakley Court. That's insane. <laughs> Well, okay.
2: No, I mean, if if I ever make a movie, I'd want something like that in the background.
0: I think I'd want one of a bunch of squirrels crossing the the Delaware River, you know, as if they were uh, as if they were George Washington, you know.
1: It's very specific, but I'm sure hey. someone could do that for you. I think squirrel taxidermy is on the like lower end of the price spectrum, but anyway if if ever we've been accused of getting off topic i think we're officially uh i think we're officially in a really bad place right now Uh, but anyway
0: so going going back to costumes then since apparently kelly's going to get the final word on whether or not taxidermied squirrels are cool or not (laughs) um the i've talked a little bit in the past about riffraff's costuming this is uh, with the kicks, one of the first times that you see the specific type of shoe that Riff Raff is wearing. It is a winkle picker type of shoe. It's also known as a, a beetle boot because the, uh, the beetles used to wear similar boots to this. It is a medium tapered Cuban heel and the center seam cut so that it kind of has a spat like look on uh, on the shoe part itself, not the heel, and it's it's like an ankle boot. I really love the look of these. You can get them online, and if you uh, if you want to get really good ones, you'll uh, you'll go and get some that are actually from the UK. Unfortunately, I have gigantically wide feet, and uh, in order to get these. Absolutely screen accurate, I'd have to spend like hundreds of dollars and that's that's fun, but not exactly what I want to do with my life. So those are the those are the major things that I wanted to highlight as far as fun details. Just because I did bring up the dildo shaped pineapple, that is something that we will talk about in future minutes uh, because we will see it in greater detail. But it is already there. It, as Riff Raff is running around the uh, the elevator, we're, see- no, we're going to see it.
1: Yeah, the only other really real note that I had was how high energy and excited Magenta is. And she's going to get even more amped up in upcoming minutes. This is the most fun she's ever had, I think. <laughs> and I guess I, for me, at least when I'm playing Magenta, it's just that she loves to scare people. And she knows she's freaking them out so badly. And so she's really having the time of her life with that.
0: She's definitely
1: that?
0: she's definitely drunk. <laughs> Magenta or Patricia? Magenta. I would never say that Patricia was drunk.
1: Yeah, no. But exactly. She, Magenta, for sure. But she's not acting super like... Later in the movie, she's acting way more drunk. Like she's about to actually pass out. But here she's really, really amped.
2: See, it's interesting to me, uh you say that because to me, her arrival here and and you know, you cra- uh, you know, I'm lucky, you're lucky, we're all lucky, and, and I feel like Brad and Janet already are regretting entering this home. <laughs> <laughs> just just, yeah. just based on this insane woman sliding down the banister, like, oh, okay, what 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 the <laughs> hell have, have we done entering this home? <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: So Janet definitely is like, oh, this was, this is bad. This is right there with stranger danger. I need to leave. And Brad has this look of, oh, that was a loud noise. Okay, but I understand what that was about. And then he's just wandering around really trying to be like cool with everything. He, he does a lot of smiling and going, yeah, no, I'm hip. I I'm good with all of this. You don't have to be yeah. worried about me. Right, yeah, he's definitely like trying harder to be polite, perhaps, which is very much something I would do if I walked into this situation. I'd go, This is normal, like, right. I don't know what I don't know what to say. I was gonna yeah. do this even if I wasn't here.
1: We've all had those like Twilight Zone dinner party experiences where you're like, These people are freaks, but I've got to stick out the evening or. We have, right? That's a common experience.
0: <laughs> um, yes, I have had dinner parties with you. I
1: <laughs> oh got Fuck off.
0: Uh, and you've had your
1: last one now, bitch. That's but, not true. No, it's not, not, not at all. But let's uh, move into callbacks. And let's, Eric, did you have anything else you noticed in this minute?
2: Uh, the only other thing, I, and I, I apologize if this is something you already discussed um, about Patricia Quinn is. I never knew until doing some research to come on your show that she's in one of my favorite scenes in uh, Monty Python: The Meaning of Life. I had no idea that that was her in that scene with John Cleese. That is such a hysterical scene where they're showing the class how to have sex with your wife, and I never knew that was her <laughs> until yesterday when I when I looked up uh, information about her.
1: Yeah, we touched on that in the credits, but uh, that was new information to me too when I started. Oh, okay getting ready for the podcast. And I grew up on all Monty Python content, but I never knew it was
0: her either. For me, I was watching a Monty Python series of films. And we uh, I was watching it with my husband, Dan. And we got to that scene where we were like, wait, who is that? Wait, is that? Holy shit. And then we <laughs> uh, we Googled it. We IMDb'd it. And we were like, that is Patricia Quinn. That is topless Patricia Quinn. Good for you, (laughs) Patricia Quinn. Uh, I love
1: her so much. So I guess without further ado, we can move into callbacks. And um, I'll start with the ones that I have for this minute. The first thing Janet says in this minute when she says, are you having a party the big one that I always hear and I love this one is to yell back. Do you see any Tupperware bitch? Then when he says you've arrived on a rather special night, it's one of the master's affairs. People respond, which one male or female. And then as she's sliding down the banister, people will either people will chant along. And either at the end they'll just yell the banisters lucky or they might just go, He's sticky, I'm sticky, you're sticky, we're all sticky. Or the banister's sticky.
2: <laughs>
1: so that that's the banister one that I know. And then the really old callback when Riff is approaching the coffin clock. And this is something that in our Halloween episode we talked about the Tim Curry and Meatloaf Saturday Night Live sketch where they were where they were giving a few examples of callbacks, and even back then in 1981, they gave this example callback of "Riff Raff Shawa Shamma That's again my excellent Tim Curry impression, award-winning. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, but also more common now is whatever celebrity has most recently died, someone will. They, they will be referenced in some way for example if it's a musician like after tom petty died it was like ladies and gentlemen we have a very special one night only guest performance by tom petty or you know whatever it is i it's a big one and i i know it's we've talked about uh dead celebrity callbacks in previous <laughs> minutes eric it's one of the more controversial callbacks because you know sometimes people consider it to be in poor taste i mean it probably is in poor taste but it's a it's a big huge part of rocky horror culture to reference especially especially this one for recent celebrity deaths so usually actually though it gets a laugh even from people who aren't really like regulars or aren't familiar with the show. Because uh, I think people come mostly game. The only time I've seen a really bad reaction was after George Bush Sr. died. And somebody, uh, the an audience member made a reference to that. And <laughs> it was a regular of ours who, who did it. But an audience member just turned to him and just went, you're an asshole. Which was like, I mean, it, like, can it's usually a huge laugh moment, so the fact it, there was like an audience groan and then just punctuated by you're an asshole it was crazy to me because no other celebrity got that reaction, and uh, even like politi- politicians. So I don't know, Leandro. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Uh, yeah, well, first off, yes, that regular is an asshole, so that was a true <laughs> statement. No, he is, um, yeah, he'd be yeah. the first to admit it, yeah. I I tend to enjoy a, a clever dead celebrity uh, reference here. I think that you can do a little bit more than I present to you this dead person. Yeah. Um, you can instead uh, go, for instance, um, we uh, we recently went to, um, to a Rocky showing, um, you and I, and the day before I lamented the fact that. Uh, that Sean Connery had passed on and there wasn't Rocky. Yeah. And I really wanted to utilize Sean Connery to the best of his abilities in a in a callback way and you said we are literally going to Rocky tomorrow. You dumb slut. <laughs> yeah. went, oh, okay. So yeah. with that uh, you uh, you could say uh, and now presenting uh, for one night only a man who knows for a fact that he's not immortal, Sean Connery, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. The thing yeah, and I know that it's uh we're we're probably like scandalizing Eric right now. But Oh it, no
2: no no. Yeah <laughs> not I at mean all. the thing is
1: it upsets people, but I don't think and honestly if if we're being really honest, um there's not a ton of love lost between me and Sean Connery, but but i like if we're being really honest, it's not uh like it's not meant to mock people or the way they died or anything it's It's not meant to be like a um like an indictment of them in any way it's It's supposed to be kind of a laughing with them type of thing usually
2: i
0: i had like an m c friend who uh, who phrased it like this um we love so we uh, we send you off by putting you in the box and yeah exactly i mean honestly the ones that what
1: the celebrity deaths that hit me the hardest i really wanted to make sure and like feed a regular a really good callback for them because i wanted to send them off right you know like prince for example prince is the big really painful one since i started doing rocky for me
2: i mean as as someone who has has not been to the live show so you know would not be aware of what would be coming i i think that i would view it as i'm going to rocky horror picture show you know I mean, you're not right You have to expect i mean you know if you're if you're coming there and not expecting to at some point for something to be said that you know might make you uh, you know either uncomfortable insulted or just you know off the walls then i then i don't know what you're doing there you know
0: right right and at least at our show uh, we make sure that we, we start with a warning, a content warning, um, where we, uh, we say, we're going to offend you if you're easily offended. If you fit into a nice little box, we're going to knock over the box and piss all over it. Um, <laughs> so here's your chance to get up now and walk out the door. Uh, so we we give people kind of a taste of that, even before the movie starts, so that they can go, oh, oh, is it going to get worse? She just said that it's going to get worse. I think I need to leave. And occasionally that happens. Uh, But otherwise, people go, okay, well, if I can do that, if I can be okay with what this bitch just said. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah,
1: honestly, when I first went to your show, I was like, because it it wasn't my first Rocky Horror show by a long shot, but I was like, oh, my God, what are they going to do that's going to be so offensive? And honestly, you overhyped it. I was not that offended.
0: I'm happy that I
1: overhyped it. We're in yeah. D.C., a very litigious area. <laughs> That's true. But what I'm saying is try harder. Yeah, no, uh, honestly, we've our Well, we're not going to get into that, but we, we've had our share of troubles from uh, from disgruntled audience members. So anyway, the next one that comes after that is when he says, it's astounding. The callback is, no, it's a skeleton. Love that one. Gets me every time. Uh, and then the when you say right before he says madness you say what's your favorite ska band and then he says madness and you reply they suck (laughs) i don't know why um i haven't listened to madness so i don't know if they actually it's because they suck yes do
0: they suck okay Mm -hmm. can confirm
1: okay um and then of course how many testicles do you have i've got two and then you reply i've got three easy and then when he runs over to do the kicks you have to yell kick kick that's one of those callbacks that i even if i'm just listening to the music i have to at least think it really hard if not say it along with the music
0: so those are mine do you have any other ones leandra i do um right. one that i one that i haven't actually heard but i saw that somebody submitted this as a, this is a thing that we occasionally say is, um, you've arrived on a rather special, or no, uh, are you having a party? And mm-hmm. it's, no, it's an MLM sales pitch. Run for your life. <laughs> yeah. And I I love that.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: it's very. Which just, could be Tupperware. Because yeah. the classic, and Tupperware is an MLM. Uh, then when Magenta is going down the banister, uh, some uh, somebody will often go, well, that's one way to get splinters. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, yeah. you really hit all of the ones that I think are particularly fun. Uh, there's for takes its toll. Um, he kind of beckons with one finger and you can say 69 cents because uh. it's a toll.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Callbacks yeah, are yeah. funny that's the yeah.
0: that's the truth.
1: They are super funny every time, always. Eric, do you have any final
0: thoughts on this minute?
2: Uh, I just wanted to say how awesome the opening guitar riff is to the song as it starts oh, playing yeah. while they're uh before they start singing and then at the, the beginning of them singing, it's just that they're very simple but very awesome you know clearly a very good song is about to begin.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of the things that doesn't change from uh, from one version of the music to the next when we're talking about the the updated music. That's true. Okay. But if that is it, let's go ahead and end this one like we end all of our uh, all of our episodes with all of us trying to say something at the same time. And <laughs> Eric, if so you know,
1: I, I, I didn't tell Eric about this. Uh, but this is the way eric this is the way we end our shows our rocky horror shows as well as um the podcast um i guess this first time we will demonstrate for you so
0: now now you don't don't have to to go 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 home home, but you you can't can't stay stay here here, so get the the fuck fuck out. out and it's always that good